Please turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 7 and 8. Specifically, the second half of verse 7 and the first part of verse 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Please bow with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to hear your word today. We ask that you would send the Spirit to help us to apply the word to each and every one of our lives. And Father, I ask for help that I would preach your word faithfully. And Father, we ask that if any don't know you today, that they would turn to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have you ever sat and contemplated the, the vastness of something? You just sit there and look at the water and you, you think to yourself, how much water is in that lake? Like you, you can't even wrap your mind around it. Or have you ever tried to, you, you look up at the, the sky and you, you know that what you see there is not all that's there. Have you ever tried to grasp the vastness of the universe? I think our own solar system, our our own um, galaxy, rather, is about 100,000 light years in size. One light year is about 6 trillion miles. This is one galaxy, and then there are billions of of galaxies in our estimation. And so you think about that, and you, you can't even wrap your mind around the vastness of that. And let me ask you this, have you ever thought of God's Grace in that way. The, the, the vastness of God's grace. This is what Paul does in our text today. And, and this is like rocket fuel to Paul for the Christian life. So last time we were in Ephesians, we looked at the, the glorious doctrine of redemption. And we, re- we defined redemption as release from bondage through the payment of a price. We were slaves to sin. And, and a price was paid, the blood of Jesus, to, to purchase us from slavery to sin and to free us from the guilt of sin. Paul says in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Paul tells us then how this redemption is received. Do we, do we earn it? Do we, do we work hard? Do we strive for this redemption, for this forgiveness of sins, for this release from slavery? No, we talked about the infinite grace of God. Paul says, according to the riches of his grace. We have forgiveness according to the riches of his grace. His grace. 
And we touched on this briefly last time at the end of the sermon, but, but we, I want to look at this in more detail this morning. We know that redemption has been provided through the blood of Christ. And this redemption is received by what? By grace. Paul tells us in Romans 3, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So grace through redemption. We receive forgiveness of sins through redemption as a gift. This is grace. We are saved by grace alone. Through faith, Paul says in in chapter 2 of Ephesians, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. So redemption is not something we can earn or work for, it is solely the gift of God. That is grace. But not only does he give us grace, but we are told we receive the forgiveness of sins according to the riches. Of his grace. Why does Paul throw that word in there? God has a wealth of grace. And, and, and Paul says he gives according to his riches. In other words, he does not have a, a limited supply of grace that, that makes him careful not to give one person too much, lest he can't give enough to someone else. He gives according to his riches. He gives richly. MacArthur uses this illustration. If you were to, to go to a multimillionaire and ask them for a donation for a ministry, and, and they gave you $25, they would be giving in their riches. Because a poor person could give that amount. But if he were to give you $50,000, he would be giving according to his riches. In other words, he can't give you that amount unless he has it. So, so the person who, who would give that amount is giving, not in their riches, but according to their riches. Do, do, do you see the difference? He, he gave amount proportional to, to his wealth that represented his wealth. That, that God gives according to his riches is, is great news for us. We are told, blessed are the poor and spirit. What does that mean? That means blessed is the man who recognizes what's true about him. He's poor in spirit. He, he has nothing in and of himself. Blessed is the man who recognizes this. John Gill said, All mankind are spiritually poor. They have nothing to eat that is fit and proper, nor any clothes to wear but rags, nor are they able to purchase either. They have no money to buy with. They are in debt, over 10,000 talents, and have nothing to pay, and in such a condition that they are not able to help themselves. That is our spiritual condition. Helpless beggars. Spiritually destitute of everything that's needed. No grace whereby to stand before God. No, no righteousness, rather, whereby to stand before God. Helpless. And in light of our spiritual poverty, our utter destitute, how magnificent is it that, that we have a God who gives according to the riches of His grace. 
Do you see the beauty of that? This is why Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, because you then long for that which you don't have. And we are told now by Paul that there is a God who has an abundance of it. He has a wealth of grace, and he gives according to his riches. We have nothing in and of ourselves, but that's okay. Because we have a God rich in grace who gives richly. And understand the significance of what Paul is saying here. The the, the fact that God has a wealth of grace is one thing. But that he gives according to his riches is another. God could have a wealth of grace and be a miser. He could be a Scrooge. I have it, yes. But am I giving it to you? No, it's mine. But he doesn't do that. Just because God has infinite grace to give does not mean that he has to give us grace at all, let alone infinite grace. Do you recognize there are people who never experience the saving grace of God? They don't receive it. Yes, God is rich in grace, but but they don't receive it. So praise God, yes, that he is rich in grace. This fact is worthy of our praise. And this is a praise. Paul is writing this as a praise. But Paul takes it farther. Not only does God have infinite grace to give, but he actually gives it. He says in verse 8, which he lavishes upon us. The word lavished means to to shower, to, to provide abundantly. Paul marvels that God showered him and and all of the saints with grace. Yes, God forgives according to the riches of his grace, but, but not all receive his grace. Paul tells us that some are vessels of wrath, but not Christians. No, we, we have been showered with grace. So we praise God not only for for forgiving according to the riches of his grace in general, but for specifically giving this way to us, showering us with his grace. As believers, he has given us abundant grace. We are witnesses to the fact that, that he has a wealth of grace because we have received it and we continue to receive it. So that we can say, marvelous grace, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe. His infinite grace has been freely bestowed upon us. As I was just describing with the, with the vastness of the ocean or the, the, the vastness of the universe, it is, it is really difficult to understand just how rich in grace God really is. But as we consider how he showers us with grace, it will help us to begin to understand something of God's wealth of grace. Consider the fact that not only do we receive grace, but we receive it abundantly. I could turn your attention to Romans 5. The same Paul writing. And what does he say in verse 15 of of Romans 5? But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. It abounded. 
And this word that Paul uses in, in, in Romans there for abounded is the same word he used for lavished here in Ephesians. He's saying essentially the same thing, that grace abounded. But then we go to 17, verse 17 in Romans 5. And he says, for, it, for if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will, will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Abundance, he says. And this word abundance could be translated here as overabundance. It, it represents something beyond Abundance. The, the state of being more than full, as one source puts it. Webster defines abundance as great plenty, an overflowing quantity, ample sufficiency. So think about that. Abundance means overflowing quantity. And Paul uses the word that indicates over. Abundance. This is how he is describing the grace that we receive. Matthew Henry says the stream of grace and righteousness is deeper and broader than the stream of guilt. But Paul takes it one step farther. Verse 20 of chapter 5 of Romans, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Where sin Increases, grace abounds much more. Abounds much more. This is one Greek word. Could be defined as to, to abound beyond. But, but what does to abound mean? Again, Webster says to abound means to have or possess in great quantity. So, so there's something there in great count, in quantity. But, but Paul says, it abounds even more. In fact, it's really interesting the, the way he words this in the Greek. If you look at it in the Greek, he uses the, the ordinary word for abound, but then he adds the prefix hyper to it. What does that mean? When something or someone is hyperactive, what does that mean? They are excessively active. You, you think of hyper. Tension. This is high blood pressure. There's an excess of pressure in the blood vessels. Hyper indicates excess. And, 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 and Paul adds this prefix to the word abound in Romans 5. So, so essentially what he's saying is where sin abounds, grace hyper abounds. It super abounds. Matthew Henry says, sin abounded among the Jews and to those of them that were converted to the faith of Christ, did not grace much more abound in the remitting of sin, of so much guilt, and the subduing of so much corruption? Consider that. The, the vastness of sin there, and grace abounds all the more. And listen to what he says. He says, the, the, the greater the strength of the enemy, the greater the honor of the conqueror. Consider that. Grace conquers sin. Every time, Paul says. But what does this say about grace? Because that the greater the enemy, that the greater the conqueror has to be to conquer. But he says where sin abounds, grace hyper abounds. 
John Gill put it this way. Sin has abounded in human nature and all the individuals of it. And grace has superabounded. Sin abounded in the Gentile world before the preaching of the gospel in it. But afterwards, grace did superabound in the conversion of multitudes in it from idols to serve the living God. And where sin has abounded in particular persons to a very great height, grace has exceeded it. God is so rich in grace. And so showers that grace upon his people. That where sin has abounded with his people, his grace has and always will superabound. So rich in grace that, that his grace always exceeds our guilt from sin. We can never outsin God's grace as a true Christian. Contemplate that. If you are a true believer, so you see the true believer, Paul says in Romans 6, does not say, let us sin that grace may abound. So, so, so that's not a true believer. The, the true believer can never out-sin God's grace. Contemplate that, dear friends. You know your hearts. You, you, you know the great struggle with sin. And Paul is saying you, you can't out-sin his grace. Your sin in the scales with God's grace can never outweigh it. But my sin has been great. Yes, and his grace is greater. But, but my sin, that the height of my sin has been like a, a tall hill. One sin heaped upon another, yes, but his grace is like a mountain. But the depth of my sin has been like a deep lake, yes. But his grace is like the abyss of the ocean. But the extent of my sin is as vast as an entire continent, yes. But his grace is as vast as the universe. You can't out it. But the number of my sins is greater than, than that of the, the, the sand on the shore of Lake Michigan. Yes, and His grace is greater than the, the number of the sand in the entire world. Where sin abounds, grace hyper-abounds. Paul said he was the chief of sinners. Was he just trying to be cute when he said that? No, he had blood on his hands. Killing Christians for the sake of God? What in the world? He he meant it from the depths of his heart when he said that I am the chief of sinners. But guess what? His grace is sufficient. Paul knew that. This is Paul writing. This is why Paul is magnifying God's grace in this way. He understood it. As sinful as he was, he never exceeded grace. I want you to think of this. Think of how sin abounded in your lives before Christ. We were born sinners. Guilty in Adam from our very birth. 
And, and as small babies and, and little children, sin was our norm. Disobedience was our norm. You don't have to teach a child obedience, disobedience, rather. You have to teach them obedience. From their youth, they have hatred in their heart and they want to hit you and they want to take things that don't belong to them and they snatch it from other people and they lie to get out of trouble or lie to get, up, to get what they want. Fighting over things, lying, stealing. And as we get older, what happens? Our sin increases. In number and in extent. We begin to be tempted by new things. We, we begin to long for new sinful things that we never thought of before. And, and we begin to sin more and more. And as we, we grow in wisdom, we actually begin to learn how to sin and, not, and get away with it. We, we increase our sin. And, and if you make it to adulthood without coming to Christ, even as an adult, you, you sin on a daily basis over and over and over again as, believe, as unbelievers. We did nothing but sin. As unbelievers, not once did we, did we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, souls, and mind, and strength. And not once did we love our neighbors as ourselves, which is the summation of the law. And everything we did, we did for ourselves, or to make ourselves feel good, or to get what we wanted in life. And nothing that we did was done in faith, which meant everything that we did, the greatest things we did on our best day, was sin in God's eyes. And our righteousness was as filthy rags before him. Sin abounded in each and every one of our lives before Christ, did it not? But it didn't stop there, did it? You became a Christian. Did you stop sinning? No, even in our Christian lives. We have often failed to, to love God the way He demands. And on a daily basis, we fail to, to love our neighbors the way He commands. And we often have hate and murder and adultery in our hearts, even as believers. And, and we're guilty of, of transgressing His laws, even as believers. And how often are we guilty of sinning in our hearts, even when we restrain our hands as believers? Even as believers, we have sinned daily, adding to the heaping mountain of sins that we have committed in our lives. To the point where we even think, what if I run out of grace? I mean, I mean I've sinned a lot, and, and the mountain has grown larger and larger. Have I depleted the stores of God's grace in my life? Surely there can be no more grace for me after I committed that sin again. Sin has abounded in my life. And perhaps this thought tempts you. To, to be in despair, to be, to be hopeless. Yes, sin has abounded in your life, but if you have faith in Christ, grace has super abounded in your life. Consider that. As the hymn writer put it, sin and despair, like the sea waves cold, threaten the soul with infinite loss. But grace that is greater Yes, grace untold points to the refuge, the, the, the mighty cross. His grace is sufficient. 
But you say, not only has sin abounded in my past, but I know my heart and I'm worried about the future. Will his grace sustain me? Listen, I understand he has paid for my past sins, but what if I sin too much in the future? What if I out-sin his grace in the future? What if it can't sustain me? Where sin abounds, grace hyper-abounds. Past, present, and future. It was all paid for on the cross. God knew every sin that you would ever commit. None of your sins are a surprise to him. He knew them all, and Christ had to pay for each and every one of them on the cross. They were all covered by the superabundance of his grace. Grace abounds, dear saint. And I want you to consider this. This does not mean that this does not mean that that. You know, you, you were just that close to not having enough grace. No, it abounded. You, you didn't just barely receive enough grace from God to be saved. Consider that. It's not as though your, your sins almost tipped the scale and, and God would not have had enough grace to cover you if, if you just mess up one more time. That's it. Listen, God is not counting pennies of grace, as it were, to see if he can find enough to cover you. God is not looking for spare grace in the, 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 the car or under the, in the couch in the house to see if he has a, 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 just enough to cover you. Maybe I can find some spare grace laying around somewhere, and that would cover your sins, hopefully. That's not how it is. He has an abundance, and he gives richly. When, you, when your sin... Is like the depth of a great lake. He pours enough grace on it to fill an ocean. That's the point that Paul is trying to get across. But what does this tell us about how rich God is in grace and how generous he is with it? We can't even comprehend this. Listen, you know how sinful you have been. You you know how much grace it has taken to cover you. But now consider that God not only covered you with an overabundance of grace, but has done this for all Christians. Think about the mountain of your sins, your personal sins, all being abundantly covered. Now multiply that by every Christian. How much grace is that. Think of those who have already been saved by grace. We can go back to the Old Testament, probably about a 4,000 year period. And how many people belonged to God and, and had faith in God in the Old Testament? There were many who belonged to Him who are now in heaven. And, and how were they saved? Were, were they saved by good works? No. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. So did God just excuse his sin because he believed God? No, Paul gives us some insight into what happened. 
Paul tells us that, that all sin but, and they fall short of the glory of God, but, but they're justified by grace as a gift through the redemption in Christ Jesus. Now listen to what he says, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show his righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. What was he saying? On the cross, God put Christ up as a public display. Why? To demonstrate his righteousness. Why? Because in the Old Testament, he passed over a lot of sins. What what does that mean? That means he was looking forward. He did not punish Moses. He did not punish David according to their sins. Why? Because he was looking forward to what he was going to do on the cross to Christ, and that was going to atone for even their sins. So great, so, so, so even though the sins of the Old Testament saints abounded, it wasn't good works that saved them. Grace abounded. Even in the Old Testament. Think, think of David, who we've been talking about. When Nathan confronts him and, and, and David's eyes are open to his sin, what does David say to Nathan? He says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And what is Nathan's response? The Lord has also put away your sin. What? He put it away? After committing a murder and adultery, he, he puts it away? What, what does that mean? Grace. And so David says in Psalm 32, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. How? By good works? No, by grace through redemption. Grace abounding to the chief of sinners even in the Old Testament. How much grace was poured out in the Old Testament time. And we can go to the New Testament. And we can think about the, the, the past 2,000 years of, of history. And we can think about how the gospel has, has spread as a result of the Great Commission. And, and we can think about how many millions have, have turned to Christ for salvation. And each and every one of those had sin that abounded, but grace abounded all the more in each and every one of their lives. And God didn't run out of grace, did he? No, because he had enough so that grace abounds in the lives of each and every one of us sitting here today. And what about the future? Perhaps millions more in the future will turn to Christ and have a super abundance of grace showered upon them as well. This is, this, dear friends, is, is riches. What God has done For us here today, he has done and will continue to do for perhaps millions of people. We can't even begin to understand or comprehend the storehouse, the the treasury of grace that God has to do this. I I mean, think about how much has been poured out in your own life and multiply that by millions. This is why we say infinite grace. You can't count it. There's no end to it. But also think about how this magnifies Christ. Remember, 
we have reached a point in this text where, where Paul is beginning to praise God for what? For the work of the Son in salvation. Without Christ, there is no grace for, for us or anyone. Grace is only possible in Christ, because of Christ, through Christ. This is the only way we receive grace. Now consider how much worth Christ had to have to extend so much grace by atoning for so many sins. Christ had to pay for every single sin that was atoned for. Listen, Christ did not just die for sin in general. No, he had to pay for every single sin that would ever be forgiven on the cross. And yet we are told that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. He more than sufficiently paid for every sin. Difference, could a mere man do that? Are you that valuable? No, you're not. What about an angel? What if, what if, what if Jesus is just an angel? Is, is an angel that valuable where he could extend that much grace to, to millions and, and perhaps billions of people? No. But but perhaps he's just a a created being. I mean, surely God could create a being so valuable that that their death could atone for that many sins and extend that much grace. Not possible. This is why Christ had to be not only fully man, but fully God. Nothing but God himself could satisfy that type of sin. Nothing but the death of God himself could ensure that much grace be showered upon that many people. This should just elevate our view of Christ. I mean, can you just imagine how how much he's worth? Because this is the only way we receive any grace, and yet we're told we can't out his grace, yet we're told wherever sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, and this is all because of the worth, the value of Christ. We should say with the hymn, Hallelujah, what a Savior. But what do we do with this truth? Remember how, remember how Paul is writing the, the letter of Ephesians. The first three chapters are indicatives. The last three are imperatives. The first three are, are about right believing. The, the last three are about right behaving. The first three are about orthodoxy. The last three are about orthopraxy. In other words, Paul doesn't go directly into our duty. He, he first goes into who we are in Christ. And once we recognize what's true about us in Christ, then he gives us our duty. This is the rocket fuel for our duty before God. If we just try to run to the imperatives, we have this Stale, possibly motivated for a while, obedience. A heartless, mindless obedience. No, that's not what the Christian life is. It's a passionate obedience from what Christ has has done for us. This is why Paul says in Romans 12, after, after so much rich theology of salvation, he gets to chapter 12 of Romans and said, I beseech you now by the mercies of God to present yourselves a living sacrifice to God. This is your reasonable service considering what Christ has done for you. So first of all, 
This should lead us to praise. The, the consideration of God's grace and Christ's great worth in extending such grace should lead us to praise. Dear friends, are you, are you captivated by grace? Are you captivated by it? Or are you beyond the grace stuff? Have you moved on to, to greater things? I tell you what, Paul never moved on to greater things. Grace was always the center for Paul. This is why he did what he did. He had received this grace and he wanted others to receive this grace. He wanted to live for Christ because of this grace. It was his motive. It is the contemplation of these truths that, that made Paul write, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He, he's overwhelmed at the grace of God. But it should not only lead to praise, but it should lead to obedience, to, to change. Let, let me just give you one example. Consider, once again, the mountain of your sin and how your sin abounded. And, and then consider, once again, how, how even though your sin abounded, grace superabounded. And in light of that, what should be our attitude towards others? I'll tell you what Paul thinks. Because once he gets to the imperatives of Ephesians 4, he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. How? How should we forgive? As God in Christ forgave you. Oh, you mean he just barely gave me enough grace, right? No. When your sin abounded, his grace super abounded. That's how you forgive others. Dear friends, are you miserly with grace? I heard Paul Washer say one time that, that we, we glorify God and we magnify him for his grace, but we don't want to give it to others. This is not right. Think of your, your spouse, both men and women. Do you forgive your spouse? Is your heart's desire to, to show them grace? Are, are, are you hard to offend because, because you extend so much grace? Or are you critical? And your spouse has to walk on eggshells not to offend you. And then they have to win your forgiveness. Because you don't easily extend grace. Think about that. You praise God for this. For his infinite grace. Why? Because you know that infinite grace is, is a good thing. But then do you ration out grace to those around you? Being critical. Refusing to forgive. Demanding that your spouse live in such a way that they don't need grace. And what about your children? Do you demand that your children live in such a way that they don't need grace? Or do you understand that, that, that me showing grace to my children is a good thing because I can point them to the God who, who has given me infinite grace? 
And what about you young people? Do you demand perfection of your parents? Or do you extend grace? Do you want grace from God to to forgive you for all of your disobedience and your sins, but, but you don't want to extend grace to your parents when they mess up, when they do wrong? Are you willing to extend grace? How can recipients of infinite grace refuse to extend grace to others? They can't. Dear friend, if you cannot extend grace to others, then I would venture to say it's a good possibility you have never actually experienced God's grace. Receiving God's grace should melt your heart in such a way that you are eager to extend it to others. And believe me, believe me, I am talking to myself here. I'm talking chiefly to me here. But also, the riches of grace demonstrated should assure us of of God's love and and His care for us. It It should confirm to us that not only is God able, but He's willing to extend grace. Dear friends, we we can't be very useful in the kingdom of God if we go around doubting His grace, doubting His goodness. How useful can we be to to sharing the gospel with others when when we doubt His grace in our own lives? How useful can we be to others when when, when we're not put together ourselves and when we don't really trust that God is good? But, But the riches of His grace poured out upon us, seeing this should should make us understand that God is good and that that He desires to to, to extend grace to us and, and He does extend grace to us. Listen to what Ferguson says. We need to pause to meditate on the grace Paul is describing here. If we grasp the nature of the love God demonstrated on the cross, we will realize that it is not a reluctant, but a lavish love. God is not reluctant. He proved it. How suspicious of God many Christians seem to be. We, we do not trust Him. We, we doubt His goodness. We taste little of the sweetness of His grace. Here is what will dissolve paralyzing fears, cringing doubt, suspicious unbelief, the riches of His grace lavished upon us. And we have these riches already in Christ. Are you suspicious of God's goodness? And of course you won't say it. But you wonder, is he really for me or is he against me? I feel like he's against me sometime. Perhaps he, he wants, I, you know what? I think God wants me to go astray. I, I think he actually doesn't really love me and, and that he actually wants me to sin and that he wants me to go astray. I'm suspicious of his goodness. I'm suspicious of his care for me. I'm suspicious of his love. Is he able to save us? He has vast treasuries of infinite grace. But is He willing to save us? Does He want us to be saved and to walk with Him? He has showered us with a hyper abundance of grace. There's your proof, dear friend. That the proof is in the fact that He has done it. 
Paul said it is true. You have received a hyperabundance of grace. Now how dare you, after receiving a hyperabundance of grace, walk away and say, I wonder if God is good and if he's actually for me. I wonder if he actually loves me. You committed a mountain of sin and he covered it abundantly with grace. And then you say, I wonder if he actually loves me. How ridiculous does that sound? But, but this is why we need to understand his grace. Not, not, only, that he's, that not only is he able to save abundantly, but, but he, he is willing. And this is given, this is proof. The fact that he has actually showered grace upon us is the proof. But what about the unbeliever here today? Who's still under the guilt, the weight of sin. You say, I have not received such grace. I know that I am not right in God's eyes. I can feel the weight of my sin. I can feel my, my, my guilt from my disobedience to God. Listen, there is a super abundance of grace available to you today if you would only turn from your sins and trust in Jesus for salvation. Do you desire the grace that you have heard about today? If you do, then, then put your faith in Christ. Faith is like the, the straw through which we suck in the grace of God. You have no excuse, unbeliever, to remain in your sin any longer. You have no excuse to remain under the guilt. There is an overabundance of grace available to you this very day, waiting to be conveyed to you through faith. And Jesus Christ, believe on him, and you should be saved. But, but my sin is like a, a great fortified city. It's massive. Yes, and his grace is like a tidal wave that rises up and washes away the entire city and covers it. Your sin is no excuse to stay away from Christ. It's the reason you need to run to him in faith and repentance because although it is true, your sin has abounded. His grace hyper, it super abounds. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we marvel at the grace that has been extended to us infinite grace that we cannot even comprehend. Father, help us to, to be moved by this and, and to, to never dare use grace as an excuse for sin, but, but that it would be the few that propels us forward in, in the mission you have given us here in our lives, here in the church. May, may these indicatives that this grace we have received cause us to 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 be obedient to you in all things. May it motivate and drive our obedience. May we be passionate about obeying you because of the grace that we have received. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.